Welcome to the Turnover Basketball Podcast. We're here in the middle of January with our first podcast since the season has started. So we're one month in. Uh, I'm Kenny. I'm going to be hosting today. And we've got another great panel of folks, our usual folks. Uh, We have got Alex with us. Hello. Eric is also joining us. Hello, friends. And uh, also, we have Daniel with us today. We got basketball. Let's do this. Yeah, so I guess we have a bunch of topics that we want to talk about, considering it's it's already been, it feels like a lot has happened. There's already too many narratives for our feeble minds to comprehend. But I guess the first thing that's probably most on our minds, and we know everyone's already talking about it, but the James Harden trade has finally gone through. What is everyone's take on, on this trade? Obviously, you know, Houston is, is you know, it's not, not too great, <laughs> um, but we've also got the assembly of probably the next greatest super team. Although there's been a lot of a lot of haterade for this Brooklyn Nets super team. So I'm interested to hear what, what our quick reactions are to this trade. Uh, give us your own spin on what has happened. And uh, just for just for context, we're recording Thursday night, January 14th. So the trade happened yesterday. Yes. Um my my really really quick take is basically the nets as they were before led by kd and Kyrie, were my favorites for the east i think like they had this very very strong team that had a decent amount of depth uh i'm really sad to see lavert and allen go especially um but i think with you know between harden kd and Kyrie, um as long as they, they don't get injured you know, they're, I feel like, clear favorites to win it all. But I think so it is to, So to those... confirm, it's your favorites is no longer the Wizards. Well, favorites in terms of favorites to win. I don't, I, There's no need to bring up the Wizards. Right now. <laughs> team to root for. The okay. Wizards are going through a lot, okay? They found out that Westbrook has been basically playing through an injury. Probably made it worse, actually. And now there's a few players with COVID, I think. But anyways... <laughs> thrown, I think, thrown them off. I think this move makes it so that the Nets are stronger, but it does present kind of this high risk, high reward type of situation. And what's the yeah, risk? I don't know. Yeah. What's the risk, Alex? The so I think the risk is just that their lack of depth. I don't know if like that might not be a problem, but I think that's the only risk. I don't. I don't. I don't buy into like oh, there's going to be like personality clashes or like culture fit issues i mean i agree with you alex because this year with covid and everything going on and players are sitting out left and right um depth is huge for getting through the season so i'm with you there right and um yeah the reason i don't personally think that personality or like any of these other things are going to be an issue is because i feel these superstars are like very determined to beat lebron basically and i think like that that frame of reference helps to make sure that they'll be keyed in to win it all. That's my take. I think um, I think one risk I see is that this team is now a lot. I don't know if it's a lot worse defensively, but it, they're they're not great defensively. Uh, Harden is like neutral. Kyrie, if he plays, is is probably you know he's 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 a smaller guard. 
Um, Jared Allen was playing really well, and now they have to rely on you know thirty whatever year old DeAndre Jordan who hasn't Part played a big, meaningful game. Original big three. <laughs> the original big three. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so I think that's a risk. One thing I will say addressing the depth issue is that I don't think that come playoff time, depth becomes as big of an issue. And given the situation in the East, I think it's a pretty fair assumption that the Nets are going to make the playoffs. You know, if we think back to a lot of these previous LeBron teams, especially teams like the 2016 Cavs, I mean, they had, they had guys like Richard Jeff- Jefferson coming off the bench as their seventh guy in the NBA Finals. You know, I think once you get to a certain point, you're only going to play your key seven or eight guys anyway. And the fact that these guys can roll out three of the best players in the league on the same court every single night is going to cause problems. So I'm not as worried about the depth personally. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, if, I, go ahead. Go ahead. So is there anything to be worried about? Maybe there's nothing to be worried about. Yeah, because we, we basically three have three stars. Yeah, so if, we if have one like of them gets COVID, in the NBA. If one of them gets oh. COVID, they still have two stars. Okay, wait. So nobody's <laughs> worried about the personality. I, we've established Alex isn't, but the egos. There's there's no worry about that. Um, can you tell me yeah. that Kyrie's okay being the third best player on this team? Do you guys remember the Game of Thrones episode where like all the disgruntled players destroy like the media Dell and they kill all the <laughs> Game like, of the journalists? <laughs> like this is a very like like Kyrie, you know, KD, James Harden, like these guys have been the targets of like the media, right? And they, you know, now it's they they they're like a team of supervillains. So I, I feel like they vibe. I feel like they have to you know vibe with each other um, on some level. Like KD and Harden, you know, um, I I feel like they can make it work, even though I don't know. The last time there was some like rumors of discontent. Um, although, like, the KD-Westbrook rivalry kind of got played up a lot more. But, I don't know. I feel like they'll be able to to figure it out. And the other thing is, like, yeah, if Kyrie, like, you know, ends up, goes off the deep end or, like, you know, becomes, like, a defensive liability or, you know, starts, you know, those Boston antics come back. Well, it's like, you still have James Harden around. Um, I don't know. I'm not super worried about personalities. I think that, like, they might need a new center. Because it's like Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan, but I I don't know. I feel like they these guys can make it work, right? I mean, so far we haven't heard anything negative about you know coming from KD about Kyrie's like current absence, right? Right. I mean, I think I think KD just wants to play basketball and wants to play basketball with the really good players, and he wants to win another championship. So I feel like the the key difference is that at least as far as we know, like it does feel like this is kind of the team that they want, like the players want. Like this is, you know, Katie feels like this is a team that he's really bought into, that he's kind of, you know, same with Kyrie, and then Harden requesting that trade. So I feel like it's a little bit different than like, I don't know, back at the Rockets, Harden kind of getting a superstar to play along and then having to like figure out that kind of stuff. I feel like the dynamics a little bit different here. Um. Given that though, my memory served me that KD left the Warriors because he wanted to have his own team and he didn't want it to be playing with guys like Steph and Clay and like all these other superstar supporting cast, you know, because that was a lot of the criticisms that he was getting. So given that situation, I'm not really sure what's going to happen now, now that you're surrounding him with superstars all over again, it's kind of like a similar situation. I mean, I guess it's, I guess now we know that, 
you know, and the rumors of like Katie never fitting in with the Warriors is kind of true, I guess, at this point. So I guess we can assume that Katie is like, I guess he's better friends with Kyrie. And... This, I mean, this feels more like a, a team in which like, if it's not Katie's team, it's one in which like he's a, he's like an integral part of like the team construction. Like, I feel like the issue with the Warriors, what, it, it always felt like he was the outsider. I guess that does beg the question, like, and maybe Eric, you have a good take on this. Like, a lot of people on Twitter are like, who's who's the Bosch on this team? Because basically, these three guys are, like, some of the higher volume guys in terms of superstars. Whereas, like, on the Warriors, we knew Clay could just, you know, take a step back if he needed to. Or even Curry, Curry can kind of play with everyone. But you got three guys who are very ball dominant. You know, Harden, we know, can play off-ball. It's been a while since he's done that. But I'm also like, are there enough shots to go around? Yeah, I mean, I think their play styles, or at least their 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 strengths, cause them to be easy to, to fit together, right? Like, they can all pass. They can all shoot. Nobody's, like, um, a non-shooter. But, yeah, I mean, I'm worried about their play styles because I think the clear Bosch or the clear... The clear third-tier star, I guess, is Kyrie. Um, and I don't know if he's going to be happy about that. I I mean, this I'm not bashing Kyrie. We're not... This is this has nothing to do with his absence because we're a very pro-Kyrie podcast. Um, but I just... I don't know if that's... This is what he signed up for, to be the third best player. And I don't know if he's going to be happy with that. Um, so I, I have some concerns about the chemistry. I will say that, like, I really believe in Steve Nash, and I think that some of the offensive sets that they've run early in the season is a testament to, like, what a what the potential that he has as a future head coach and as a current head coach now. I know that we kind of talked a little bit about the defensive deficiencies, but I'm really excited to see them offensively. Not only because you've got three the three superstars that we've been talking about who are three of the best shooters in the league, but you've also got guys like Joe Harris, who I just read recently is the 10th all-time uh, percentage three point uh, percentage shooter in the league, league history. Um, and then you got the guys gosh. like Landry, Sh- and then you get guys like Landry Shamit, who you know who they're putting up like thirty five percent. Even last night, I was watching the game, and they were really getting guys like uh, Timothy Luwalu really involved, and he looked like he belonged on the court. So we'll see what happens on defense, but I think at least for the regular season, while they're trying to figure out that end out, like they're just going to blow people out the water offensively. Yeah. So, do you guys think they are now the clear-cut favorites in the East Eastern Conference? I think so. Yes. And in terms of like a a leadership kind of fit, like wouldn't this work pretty well? Because like I feel like Katie and Harden are both like known for being people that are maybe when it comes to basketball, just like more quiet and are just like into basically balling out. you know putting up ridiculous numbers and so I feel like in terms of like that gives room for Kyrie to kind of take the lead for like the other aspects I feel I think there could be a balance here that works pretty well I guess that brings us to like you know maybe we'll spend a few minutes on this next point before jumping to other topics um is uh I don't know is Kyrie coming back anytime soon guys like i don't know it's been weird um i don't know I, for the past two weeks Kyrie and james harden have been two of the most 
hated superstars by the media. Everyone is getting, uh, getting you know, everyone is giving their bit on on Harden and Kyrie, Stephen A, Shaq, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, I don't know. We're in a, we're in a weird moment right now for Kyrie, where he's like, you know, he's taking some time off, I, and I think like most of us were feeling okay about Kyrie taking time off. Uh, up until it turned out he was at like you know the party with like a lot of people and then we you know maybe there were some concerns there um yeah i don't know do you guys want to like respond to like what you've been seeing in terms of like the criticism that we've been seeing players like Kyrie and Harden get it kind of feels like we're back in that mode of like these millionaires need to get back on court for us to play yeah i feel like it's it's I mean, there's definitely a lot to parse through. And I think part of what's so challenging with these reactions is that we're all reacting to like a lot of different things, I think. And like, you know, end of the day, we actually don't have the definitive answer, at least from like Kyrie in terms of like why he originally decided to like um, stop playing. And so it's kind of, we just have to like piece things together. I feel like my my personal leanings is often like whoever the media or like Reddit hates the most is who I like the most right now. And so I don't know if that's like the most classic Alex contrary. <laughs> I don't know if that's the most fair judgment, but I, I, I do think with this case, there are kind of a lot of weird things in terms of how people just feel fairly dismissive about like a player and like why they would want to like not play, why they would want to like sit out and like it, feels kind of weird i guess and so for the most part i tend to rather lean towards being like hey you know if a player says they don't want to play or like there's these reasons then like let's kind of work through that instead of kind of just immediately kind of going with this knee-jerk reaction of like oh you know you should play no matter what especially in the context of a lot of the things that are happening right now i think like there should be more time being spent thinking about like what does it mean when we like demand or request that a player like plays no matter what, or like they're obligated to play? Yeah. I, um, I, I think I really like what you said first, Alex, which is just that I I don't really want to speculate on what's going on until we have the facts. And I, I feel like the truth of the matter is we just don't know. Um, this is a weird year. So I completely understand if Kyrie's taking time away to say, do I want to play basketball this year? Um, everything that I read on Reddit NBA is like shitting on players like you guys make millions of dollars like you're in these great hotels like you should be enjoying it and I'm like I mean they do make a lot of money playing basketball but like that that lifestyle sounds terrible like you're on the road 24-7 you can't talk to anybody you're not with your family you're basically just at work all the time um, I wouldn't want to do that shit so you know I, I, I again I don't want to speculate um I don't think he should have been partying without a mask and all that stuff. Um, but like, if he's hopping on a Zoom call, like, okay, cool. Like, let the guy do that, right? <laughs> I don't understand what the big deal is. Um, with the Harden thing, or I don't know, maybe we finish the, the the stuff on Kyrie first. But those are my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, we have talked about Harden Harden again the last pod. Um, but yeah, Daniel, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, like, I want to echo everything that uh, Eric and Alex already brought up. I am in full support of any player that elects not to play this year, especially given these crazy circumstances. And, you know, we saw in leagues like the NFL, a lot of players opted out and, you know, it was pretty much universal support from 
uh, everyone who was part of the media, fans. I think people are uh, very understanding, especially in this age of power, uh, player empowerment. Uh, what I will say is that my issue with the whole issue, uh, with the situation is um, the reports I've seen indicate that people like Steve Nash, his head coach, have no idea why he's taking this time off. And of course, Kyrie can take time off for whatever reason he wants. But uh, I personally think that you have an obligation to at least let your teammates or the very least your head coach um, have some inclination or some inkling into like why this is happening, how long it might go on for, because his absence certainly does affect the entire, uh, not only team, but organization. And um, I think that as one of the faces of a franchise, if you want to do that, there is a degree of responsibility that comes with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wondered about that too. Like, because at the same time, I kind of do, I kind of agree with like the idea that, you know, personal reasons are personal reasons. And I don't know, maybe there's a better way than Nets could have handled it. But like, I, I don't know. I just feel like the fan reaction has been like extremely out of control. It's like, People are saying all sorts of kind of weird and like honestly like racist things. People are just saying like, "Oh, Kyrie!" Like I've seen this a lot on Reddit NBA. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised, but it's like, it's like, I "Oh, think the Kyrie!" Is we just stop reading the, <laughs> the comments on. The I mean, NBA. you know, I'm hoping NBA Twitter is better, or at least my curated follows on NBA Twitter seems better. But like, um, yeah, there's these weird comparisons where people are calling like Kyrie Kanye. And I don't know, that's like, that's these, that's a really strange comparison, but I guess people are just like, oh, look, here's like a black man saying something like, you know, I, and I don't think you can even compare what both of them have said either. Right. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's been super weird, but I don't know. I, I agree with what folks have said about like, look, it's like, it, in some ways, like I saw a quote from Dame too about the difficulties of being on the road. In some ways, like just because they're not in the bubble anymore doesn't mean that, you know, the current schedule doesn't isn't still providing their challenges. Like these players are doing so much quarantining to get into the games and following all these protocols. But can they even like go home? Like, you know, if you're out on the road, can you even go home to your family? Or do you risk like exposing them to COVID? You know? I I really I kinda do wish the NBA was shut down. Like I and I, I never realized this with the NFL. Maybe I just wasn't thinking about it as much. But it's like, I feel like the NBA has normalized getting COVID. Like, it's okay to get COVID. Um, it, it happens, and then, like, people will recover. And that seems like a normal thing now, um, even though that's not the case. It's like when I look at my fantasy basketball team, and there's, like, five people out, the first thing I'm, like, thinking is, crap, who do I replace? But I don't know. These are, like, real lives and people's health. And I don't know. I feel like it's I, – I don't know. I, I just think COVID, getting COVID is so normalized now that, that it's weird. Yeah, so I mean, we've had nine postponements, I think. Uh, and right now, a lot of teams are, I guess, struggling to even get, you know, a healthy roster number in. So yeah, I, I think we should transition a little bit to this. Like, should we cancel or pause this the season? And like, there's all these controversies right now going on about protocols where it's like, oh, players should only elbow bump and should no longer hug but they're still gonna like play full contact basketball um yeah i don't know what's what's what are folks you know is there a way for them to continue the season right now or do folks think it's better off to like 
hey, let's slow this thing down before things get worse. I'm interested in Daniel's take uh, as somebody in the medical community. Yeah, I mean, like, let's make this very clear. This season never should have started in 2020. The fact that they elected to start the season at the normal time was completely absurd from a health and medical standpoint. And it was so absurd to the degree, to the degree that there really is no shame um, anymore or there is no shame about players getting COVID or exposing patient or players' families to uh, potential COVID-positive people. I think it's crazy that they elected to start without at least pushing it back a couple of months and trying to get vaccines distributed because you know the NBA has the money and the leverage to try to get that into their coaching staff and into their quote-unquote essential personnel. Um, from a medical standpoint, there's no way this season should have started. Given that, of course, I've actually heard a couple of podcasts where medical professionals were on and when asked about whether or not sports leagues should be around, you know, a surprising amount of them advocate for um, kind of like the mental health benefits that things like sports provide. And um, I think it is very important for a lot of people during this difficult and trying time to have outlets and sports without a doubt is one of the, you know, one of the best ones in my life. And I think for a lot of people out there as well. Um, so trying to balance these risks and benefits incredibly challenging. I personally think that they should have waited until February at the very earliest to start having these games again. So, And given that, they would have had more time to be able to plan some more thorough protocols as well, which now we can see they're clearly struggling. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to see that mental health thing come, come in again. And it's like, part of me is always wondering, like, you know, maybe we should have more mental health resources <laughs> or more other opportunities to, you know, build and, you know, have healthy mental, you know, mental health that doesn't rely on... Maybe the NBA shouldn't be the forefront of... Yeah, like, I mean, I, I love sports, but it's like, maybe, are there alternatives that exist out there, you know? You know, if we had the resources and had the, you know, had the money to, like, help people out with their mental health lives in other different cultural ways that exist outside of sports like maybe that also wouldn't be a huge issue i mean the other thing to think about is like uh like daniel it's, it's interesting that you bring up like the delay because it's like they would have had more opportunities to like have vaccinations right at least like get some of these older coaches right vaccinated um like that's also interesting also wondering like i don't know but like the bubble was not a bad idea if you if you had the bubble in shorter maybe if you didn't have it for as long as it was but maybe if the bubble happened for a shorter period of time, but yeah, I don't know. How are you all processing? Cause I think right after this, we're supposed to be talking about players and teams we're excited about, and I don't know how we do that. So, but uh, yeah. I, I wanted to speak a little bit about like this idea of like sports or NBA as like, not just like mental health, but as a way to kind of be a distraction or like, to help people basically like manage during this time of like pandemic and you know uprising and um just everything that's happening really um and i think like what that speaks more to to me is just kind of the failures of just what we have structurally to support people and like keep people healthy mentally physically etc like it kind of reminds me of how 
a lot of mayors um, are like advocating for reopening small businesses because they're like, oh, you know, they need to like make money somehow when like the answer isn't necessarily to like open things up and put everyone at risk. The answer should actually be like there should be support networks and systems in place to make sure that they don't go out of business, whether it is through like grants or funds or whatnot. And so for me, when I hear things like this, I'm just kind of like sad at the reality of like how these things are set up that this becomes the pitch not saying that this is not not saying that 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 point's wrong I'm, I'm just like it really says something larger about where we're at um as, yeah. as a country uh kenny actually I, you know i i hadn't thought about the idea of like shorter bubble spurts and i'm wondering if that would have worked like half the teams come in for three weeks or a month and then they leave for three weeks or a month and the other half comes in um, yeah, I don't know. that that seems like an interesting idea to me. And I think like, I think the league and their owners they wanted they wanted their cake and they wanted to eat it too, and they they didn't want to pay all this money to to Disney and I guess shell out the money for the resorts again this time. I think players also really didn't like the bubble, so there is yeah. that factor. But I wonder if that was ever on the table in terms of like the negotiations. And yeah, I don't know. I wonder, you know, also the other thing is like, we, I wonder if we hear more stories from the players as like more games get suspended. Because actually so far, I don't know if there's, I know George, I found a couple articles about George Hill making a few comments here and there, but I don't know if there are, you know, big player concerns that have been voiced at the moment. Um, so that's also something to consider as well. But it does seem like, you know, because of the number of games that teams need to play and the number of players they need, you know, I don't know. It could be, it's, it might not look that great for, uh, for the long-term prognosis of this, of this NBA season. Um, any other comments? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of want to go back to a point that Eric made a while ago, which is just like, it is kind of just absurd and ridiculous that the NBA has normalized that, you know, COVID's just going to happen and we can't stop it. So we might as well just let it kind of go through the league. It, it, you know, we're getting to the point where every day we check in and it's like, oh, does each team have like their eight available players? And like this, like, it didn't have to be this way. It shouldn't have been this way. And I think even though this is where we're at right now, I don't think we should ever feel like this is normal or this is how it should be. Um, and so that's kind of like always persisting in the back of my mind. Um, and I think that that feels very frustrating because like there is, you know, as we'll get to like a certain level of investment and enjoyment that we do get out of basketball. And so it's frustrating that this product that we enjoy is kind of, um, happening under these circumstances i guess that oh eric you have something to say no i was just maybe um <laughs> maybe we could do something light and talk about our, most, like, <laughs> our teams were most excited about <laughs> are, are we are we uh, simply what, obscuring what COVID by... transition <laughs> uh well this is this is a dark dark and funny article i saw the spurs have deployed robots to disinfect the at&t center <laughs> Wow. Spurs are at the forefront of of uh, technology. That both Always. feels like funny, but also like dark, and also like they're. I'm guessing they still have people cleaning the place. I'm guessing the whole thing it does not have like 
swarms of robots cleaning an entire arena. But uh, that aside, yeah, I mean, let's keep this on our minds and continue thinking about it because I'm always wondering, like, can we even talk about basketball then without, like, feeding into, like, the NBA's narrative of, like, you know, hoops are still hoops. Right. So just... I think we should should continue to ask that. Like, I, I feel like part of our answer is with our, like, new set of written pieces that we're putting on the website because we're like, hey, it does feel weird to both enjoy basketball but also see what's happening in America and we kind of want to comment on that. But I, I do think like we need to like continue interrogating that and that's kind of a process where it's like, yeah, is this at any point, is this counterintuitive to our feelings? Is, is there a better way in which like we can use this like time and space? Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a ongoing process. All right. Well, on that note, so considering <laughs> that there may be much more basketball postponed, um, out of the basketball that we have seen in the past month, you know, who are we excited about? Who are folks watching? You know, it's it is a new season. It's hard to hard to remember that sometimes. Basketball's going on for a couple of weeks. Uh, who are we watching? What do we what do we like? Uh, let's start with Daniel. I mean, guys, we all know what time it is. It's LaMelo Ball time. Look at this guy. I mean, he's been an absolute sensation. Youngest player to ever get a triple-double. You watch him, and offensively, you know, the guy is, you can tell he's got the special playmaking, and we knew that coming into the draft. But I think one thing everyone's really worried about was whether or not he would develop some of these other skills, things like his shooting form, which just looked so crazy and really ugly when he was playing overseas. I'm really encouraged because even though there are some nights where you see like the one for seven, the two for nine stat line, not only is he learning to contribute in other ways, but when you watch a shooting form now, it looks so different in the span of even only a few months compared to when he was playing in Australia last year. So I'm really excited for him. This Hornets team is really young. They're just around 500 right now. Hayward's played well outside of a couple of these injuries that he has had. Um, as a Hornets fan, I can tell you that this is the most excited I've been in the 17 years that I've followed this uh, organization. <laughs> oh my god! What about Baron Davis? Uh, well, Mel Ball looks like, before, but I do love those Jared Wallace teams too. <laughs> Jared Wallace. <laughs> oh my god, Michael K. Gilchrist. Um, well, Mel Ball looks like he's the best rookie in that draft. Uh, I mean, thus far, he looks like. The only player that I can say might be an outright star. Uh, and I was really, I guess I was kind of skeptical on him because I was like, he just kind of sounds like Lonzo Ball to me, like his skills. Uh, good passer, you know, not sure about the shooting, but sees the floor really well. But I think the main difference between him and his brothers, well, Mel was like really aggressive. Um, he plays like he knows he's a star. Um, and there's just like this energy on the team that, yeah. I've watched a couple games and um, they look really good with Gordon Hayward too making a, a renaissance. Yeah, he put up forty points. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not sure any of us saw that that comeback, <laughs> Maybe, except for Daniel. Except for Daniel, I guess. Uh, I, I yeah. definitely been watching, uh, tuning into a lot of Hornets games, and especially playing the Raptors right now. Just came back from eighteen down. So this is a it's a young team. Brago is a great coach, and I hope that they just continue to get better as the season uh, season goes along. 
So I, I take back my mock draft picked where I select Killian Hayes over Lamella Ball. <laughs> after 10 games, I have already made that decision to flip. Do you want to talk about the record forever? Do you want to talk about the Knicks, Kenny? This um, might be your only chance ever. I think I think so. I like, uh, as folks know, I am a Knicks fan. So the first, the, it's always the first month of the season I devote myself to watching some Knicks games, and then usually by the time they start to fall apart is when I go watch other games and you know and become re inspired um, with basketball. Um, the Knicks have been okay. Uh, Julius Randle is having huge games. He's playing way better than before. But to be quite honest, there's they're not an exciting team to talk about. You know, that's all I really have to say. You know, they, Obi Toppin has barely played. I also have doubts about his future, what his future as an NBA player looks like. I don't know. I don't know. I give him time, but I don't know. And RJ Barrett has so far just been so-so. So I, I'm envious of the Charlotte Hornets and their exciting core of LaMelo and uh, PJ Washington. Um you know, those are good players. They, you know, I could see them sneaking in the playoffs like next year. Um, I, I'm curious though, Daniel, how, you know, I know it's only been 12 games, but how good can LaMelo Ball be? What's his, what's his peak? Hype him up as much as you can. This is your chance. So it's so interesting to look at him play, right? Because, I mean, he's got all the tools needed to be what we would imagine to be like a triple double machine. Like he's six foot eight. He's got great instincts, and he's one. Of the, he's already one of the best rebounding guards in the NBA um, because of those. Looking at that, I think his ceiling really. It's hard to say exactly because the body sizes are so differently are so different, and um, I think Luca's got a better feel. But you kind of watch the way that Luca just controls the court; the entire offense flows through him, and how he's able to contribute not only offensively but defensively now as well. And you know. It's a impossibly high bar to set for Lamelo, but if he can be like seventy percent of what uh, Luca is, I I think that's totally in the realm of possibility for him. That's big hype. Seventy percent of Luca is big hype. Um. <laughs> the <laughs> I love the optimistic Hornets fan take. <laughs> But you don't believe in him, Eric? You don't believe in that? I, I just don't think he has the scoring chops, but I, I could be wrong. Um, Still I, a very I just, young man. I see, and I probably haven't watched as much as um, Daniel has, but maybe like a Jason Kidd, which which is still really great. Jason Kidd with a three-point shot. Yeah, um, it's up there with Steve Nash, you know, is some of the greatest points. Yeah, I think Jason Kidd's a great comparison, Eric. <laughs> They've got a, a lot of overlap. Yeah, we'll see if that shot comes through. Um I want to pivot over to maybe Eric, who you've been watching, that you've been excited about. Sure. So our group has uh, played fantasy basketball for the first time in many years, or at least paying attention. And I have Steph Curry on my team. And so I've been watching a lot of the Warriors and what I call the Steph Curry Redemption Tour. Uh, they're like a really weird team because it feels like half the team knows how to play basketball and the other half isn't really sure. Uh, but you know, it's, I just love watching. It's like when Draymond and Curry are out there, there's like this chemistry between the two that reminds you of the early Warriors days. I was like a huge fan of that 2015, 2016 team before KD came over. Uh, Wiseman who, you know, he's, he's, that guy like has unlimited potential. Um, he'll like 
take the ball down the floor and then dunk it just like on a fast break. And he's like, I don't know how tall he's like seven plus feet tall. Uh, and I think if Ubre and, and Wiggins, you know, start Wiggins has been playing well defensively, but if they, you know, Ubre, especially if he can start picking up, picking it up a little bit, they'll be a fun team to, to reckon with. Yeah. I don't know if Ubre and Wiggins are part of this, uh, Warriors future. <laughs> um, I- I think Ubre's had a tough time, um, but he's he's like we've seen him be a solid player. Uh, That's so, true. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you know it's only been twelve games. Um, he's also really handsome, so yeah, you gotta throw <laughs> you gotta throw it in there. <laughs> um, it, it, and then, it, wait, wait, go ahead, oh, go ahead. And then also my Sixers, my Sixers, they're looking good. Yeah, it's exci- It's an exciting Sixers team. A almost hardened James Harden Sixers team. But now, did Danny Green um, have like nine threes the other night? He was like, he had like, he was like zero for five like the game before, and then he went, he hit like nine three pointers the other night. It looks like the Sixers might have the players to to get it done. You know, Tyrese Maxey is looking, you know, thirty nine points as a rookie. Um, they might have you know enough collective talent to make up for losing Jimmy Butler all those years ago. <laughs> I got them coming out of the East. I don't care about the Nets. Really. Seriously? Yes, sir. Oh yes, boy. Sir. Oh boy. Well, we'll see if the season gets that far. Okay. Well, we think about it. Like we we're talking about the Nets defensively earlier. Like who's going to guard Embiid? DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> that's that's a good point. I mean, the Nets have Jeff to get Green. the Nets have to get a big man or some some sort of like they have to get some sort of plan by the time the playoffs come around. So I don't know. Maybe they can pull. They're probably trying to get P.J. Tucker somehow, but not like he stands much of a chance against Joel Embiid either, who also looks amazing. Um, Alex, who's your who's your team? I know you've the Blazers and the Wizards have been amongst your favorites. It's a tough year for Alex so far. Tough, tough year. <laughs> um, yeah, so Wizards, I was initially very excited because, you know, we have Russell Westbrook. And it happened. I, there's a lot of optimism, you know. Two two all stars, leading uh, a fun offense heavy team. Maybe we can kind of sneak in there, sixth to eighth seed. But uh, so far, it's been a disaster. What what's um, wrong with this team, Alex? Because on paper they look good. Okay, so on paper, yeah, they look decent. But the, <laughs> just decent. The problem, well, I mean, the real problem is that Westbrook has actually been injured this whole time, uh, and like people are suspecting he came back too fast during the playoffs, and he's been playing through injury uh, this whole season, and so now he's going to be out for maybe a month or maybe more. But there is concern long term, um, so I think that's part of it. I think the other part is without, you know, with such an abbreviated preseason, I think it is tricky to fit Russell Westbrook into the system. And I feel like I don't know if Scott Brooks has done enough in terms of maximizing the potential um, because I, I do think they do have the personnel to get things done. Um, but, you know, at this point, there's no way to know if all of them can gel because, yeah, Westbrook is now out for a month plus, and then Thomas Bryant is out for the rest of the year. And so, without their. And then Bryant was doing pretty good. And so, you know, we have Robin Lopez now. 
which will be, you know, fun. But it's yeah, it's, it's a, challenging. It's a weird team. It's definitely a weird team. Um, it's a weird. It's a weird team. I I think there's players. There's individual players there that are good, and obviously, you know, Beal balls out all the time. Um, but I I think it's tough. Um, I mean, who so. amongst the Wizards like roster is, you know, I'm curious about your thoughts on the. We all know Davis Bertans is like a great three point shooter, a great piece. But what about some of these other guys? Like, uh, is Hachimura actually becoming a good NBA player? Um, he is. Yeah. Anyone else? <laughs> I would just well, say, like, at, well, I would say that like when I look at the rest of the Wizards lineup, it's just like kind of like uninspiring for me. Like, like De- Denny Abja, like you know. He had twenty five and five a couple of games ago against Miami, but otherwise it's just been really quiet yeah. in like the fifteen minutes or so he gets. I think Rui's been kind of the same and now he's in the COVID protocol. It's just kinda of hard to know where points are gonna come from if Beal isn't just gonna be dominating the ball. Yeah, I think outside of your starting five, everyone else is so unreliable that it makes it very challenging. Like basically things do have to align and things do have to be at their best and so things obviously are not at their best and so i think they're gonna have a very challenging path forward um it definitely doesn't help that like every week there's like rumors about beal being traded um and as far as i know beal hasn't said anything about wanting to be traded but i don't know maybe maybe things are gonna change but uh in slightly better news the blazers after starting really rocky are now pretty feeling pretty good although like i think there are definitely concerns in which like even like their wins against pretty bad teams have been like fairly slim like i think they beat sacramento yesterday by just a few points and that took like cj and dame putting up like monster numbers and so i think there's definitely some concern there especially because before the season started, there was a lot of optimism with kind of the additions they've made. And for the most part, like it's been a lot of fun watching, you know, uh, Covington and uh, Derek Jones uh, Jr. Um, but I don't know, when you kind of have Mello and Cantor on, on the court at the same time. Are they, are they better than where they were a year ago, two years ago? uh two years ago i'm it's hard to say so i think like the big problem is that nurk has not he's been okay and i think that's the biggest concern dame's been kind of not as hot recently but cj has been playing amazing so i think that kind of evens out between those two i think the rest of the roster are i i don't know i think this is another case in which like on paper i feel like they have they can do a lot better and I don't know if it's like an issue with just like feeling out the rotations and like at this point is it just like there's too many redundant roles and trying to figure out what configurations can work um and giving giving everyone their minutes but um yeah i'm not sure alex what do you think about some of these young bench guys for them because i saw last night that you know nasir little and anthony simons didn't even get into the game against sacramento so what have you been seeing from them yeah, so I think I think they're also just like struggling with that too because like I I think with Little and Simons like Blazers have them as like long term as part of their long term plan, 
but it's like how do we we gotta like fit in you know mellow somehow we have to fit in like canter somehow we have you know um jones jr and like you know how do we like configure all of this and so i i do think the problem is like none of this feels like enough of a net plus defensively i think that's where they get burned a lot um they gotta have a trade right like these good these simons and, and little are not like terrible prospects but right they're still not playing and it's like i don't know their second second year is always a big year so um yeah i don't know it's interesting to see inside simons this is his third year i think i think yeah yeah it's not yeah. a second year it's longer than that yeah yeah so i don't know i would want to see a trade but also alex do you own a cat I'm cat sitting, and I think oh. the cat has many opinions about the Blazers. I see. Um, <laughs> okay, I was so confused. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, any other any other interesting NBA results folks wanted to go over? Uh, I do want to say, like in general, there is an element of like excitement with how like there's been a lot of like wacky scores and like unexpected teams coming back, and like there is like a certain amount of kind of thrilled to that just because like you know when it comes to playoff times it's like okay we know which teams are gonna be dominant for the most part um and so like it's just kind of i don't know it's interesting just like first five to ten games in which like there's so much like uh brimming potential and just these like unknown variables at play uh and watching kind of those games are kind of really interesting uh I'm a little worried about the Celtics because I don't think they've made any moves that would make me feel more confident about them than last year. But but they're first in the East. I will say Brown and Tatum will still look incredible. I think Tatum just needs to stop doing those step-back threes at, like, I don't know, as the last <laughs> shot. I feel like he has to stop doing that. But other than that, yeah. I like the yeah. Celtics a lot. Yeah. Okay. Other highlights: the uh, Cavs are playing hard. Um, they're not great, but they're playing hard, and uh, it's been good to see a uh, healthy Zion this year as well so far. So just wanted to throw those names in there. And the Heat, the heat and Nuggets are looking a little shaky or rocky, I guess. But I don't know if there's long-term cause for concern. Yeah. But maybe we'll maybe Eric out. is right about Murray. I don't know. Not convinced. <laughs> I'm not convinced. Not convinced that he's good or not convinced that he's bad? Not convinced that he's bad. I'm pretty sure he's good. Pretty uh, sure he's good. Jokic is amazing, though, regardless. You got to wait. You got to give it some time. You got to wait till yeah, the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, we're only 10 games in, and it's a weird year. Uh, shout out, Suns. They're... Yes. Uh, their their team is not gelling, I would say, but they still look pretty decent. So, and Mikael Bridges is is like their best player. So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, great player, great player. Uh, and DeAndre Ayton has been having a pretty solid season as well. So, the Suns are going to be one of these exciting teams to hopefully make the playoffs this year. One player that I do want to shout out. I was doing a little bit of research earlier and. Uh, he's the guy whose name has been showing up in a lot of box scores. I've gotten to watch him a little bit, and he's always, uh, you know, a presence either just around the rim on the offensive side or just like shutting things down defensively. 
So out of players who have played at least 10 games, this guy is currently number three in PER. Does anyone want to take a guess as to who this mystery newcomer might be? Can we get a clue? A clue. He's 28 years old, graduated from Oregon, and is currently playing for a dinosaur-based team. <laughs> <laughs> a dinosaur So the player team. I'm thinking of... <laughs> So the team, if anyone's wondering, was the Toronto Raptors. Um, the Are you going to say I'm Alex Wen? <laughs> the player I'm thinking of is actually Chris Boucher. Yes, so Chris Boucher. This, guy, this guy's really been showing out this year, suddenly out of nowhere. And I think that, you know, I've seen a couple quotes from past teammates being like, oh, you know, we always saw the potential. But, you know, this year really is the first year that he's been able to, uh, like, play uh, like all the minutes he's averaging 22 minutes and in that time he's he's got 2.6 blocks a game he's averaging half a steal um against my hornets he just put up 25 points and two steals and two blocks so we'll see if he can keep this up but i think that the raptors might have just found themselves a gem yeah he was a uh g league mvp i believe didn't we see him in uh didn't we see him in summer league yes we did we did did see chris boucher yeah he was Ah, a g league mvp the year i think the year before Before. yeah Yeah. so because i remember kenny you were saying he's like a he was like a scorer in the g league at least yeah yeah so he's like uh i mean dale you you can talk about him more too after you saw him play but yeah he's like a uh a big power forward slash center but he's he's kind of slim he's got a pretty skinny build but he's got really long arms he's got three-point range He's kind of your prototypical stretch stretch four, but um, yeah, he has been putting up big numbers and he's been a big contributor. You know, someone needs Damn, to Kenny, you have him on your fantasy team. I do have him on my fantasy team. I just I looked it up as <laughs> as uh, Daniel was talking about his block and steals number. I was like, I gotta pick him up. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, he's been he's been putting up numbers, so I I think it'd be cool a cool story to see him come through. Um, I'm kind of curious about his his long term journey, um, but yeah, he's already 28. But yes, that's a great shout out from Daniel. Uh, any other shout outs before we move on? Cool. I think the last one. Uh, this was just browsing the Raptors lineup, but shout out to Utah Watanabe, the uh, first Japanese American player in the NBA, currently on a two way contract with the Raptors. I think he got a couple points and maybe a rebound or two. So. Good for you, man. Showing out. Is he the first? Japanese. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what you said, right, Dan? Japanese? That is what I said. Okay. Got it. Um, all right. So. What about Hachimura? Have... What about Hachimura? First Japanese player? He's, Watanabe he's was on the Mavs. Oh. Was he on the Mavs at one point? Watanabe was drafted in. I mean, this is very important for us to figure out right now. So (laughs) we we need to get to the bottom of this. I I believe Watanabe came in the NBA in 2018, 2019. Gotcha. So Hachimura, and if you want, and then Japanese American is uh, Wat Nsaka, the guy who was the first Jeremy Lin, I guess. But he was only five six, and he played like one game. Oh, okay. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah, I appreciate the. The history lesson yeah you know we were just weren't around for a lot nasaka sanity the golden era yeah 
Yeah. Um, Watch us sanity or something. <laughs> that's okay. Terrible, terrible puns. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, uh, as folks might have seen, the turnover, we're starting to branch out into writing. We're putting up articles. And we started this series called The Off Court Playbook. I just wanted us to spend a little bit of time highlighting some of the work that's already gone up there. Um, Alex, what is The Off Court Playbook? Can you explain to our listeners? Yeah, so you can find kind of, it's going to be a series of uh, blog posts, essays, writings that we're putting on online at the turnover.club. And essentially, it was kind of a response or kind of just this meditation that we wanted to make on at that point last year with what was happening uh, off the court versus what was happening on the court and trying to like work through uh, the NBA's response to uh, the uprising and how, you know, they kind of had these Black Lives Matter courts. They had these kind of uh, very polished responses in which, like, they wanted, they were committed to racial equality and whatnot. And we felt that it was important to kind of work through that, kind of see, like, the dealings of NBA owners and what they're up to, whether that aligned with the message that the NBA was trying to convey about what their organization and their community was about and so i think we've been writing a series of uh, or working on a series of essays that will kind of tackle that and some of the stuff posted so far is an essay that one of them is an essay that i wrote about um the pacers and their stadium and how it uses uh partially public funds in order to fund renovations that they have planned and how that is kind of an ingredient for further gentrification and kind of um, leading to greater kind of disparity between classes there and also taking funds away from schools that really need them. And so uh, I think the, the post is mostly about this relationship that the sports teams try to convey to their community about how they're a community member, how they're part of a community that they're they're in, but how that often doesn't match up with how the money is spent and how the money is diverted. Because a lot of times these renovations end up only helping uh, already rich business owners or the, the league or the uh, sports owners without actually helping the community that often pays or supplements these expansions. So you're telling me that the Pacers aren't some scrappy small market team that just punches above their weight, Alex? That I mean, they would they would like to make you think that, but instead they're just you know bullies that really demand that you know uh, these teams, especially these small market teams, basically uh, support them. Otherwise, they'll leave. And so a lot of these uh, city governments. Uh, or local governments are forced to kind of provide these fairly generous packages that uh, ensure that the teams will stay, but at the cost of, um, yeah, diverting those funds away from other public goods that might need them more. I'm wondering if anyone here has been to Indianapolis. I have not. I drove by it on the way to school. I also (laughs) drive by it a lot. (laughs) What, What can, I don't know, is there anything like, you all can can tell us about Indianapolis and 
the kind of like one of Alex's points in the article is that he found that uh, I believe you said that they're trying to turn it into like a sports capital, correct? Right, right. So one interesting thing is, uh, about like Indianapolis specifically is that they were definitely really struggling. Uh, as did like a lot of Midwest uh, cities with kind of manufacturing going overseas, uh, as well as like less demand for the specific manufacturing that a lot of Midwest kind of uh, businesses and companies relied on. And so they were like, okay, we have to like figure something out. We're not kind of a tourist destination the way that maybe like Chicago is. And so we can't attract tourism or fans or people or companies over that way. And so one of their moves was like, hey, let's like sell ourselves as like the sports capital. And so <clears throat> through like this like 50 year plan or, or something like that, this like fairly expansive plan, they, uh, you know, had Indy 500. They convinced NCAA to put their headquarters there. They basically like uh, created a lot of uh, fields and stadiums specifically to attract teams and have them kind of either have their headquarters in Indianapolis or at least like have a lot of their events there. So and it's so, kind of like that part in Parks and Rec when they go to hang out with the Indianapolis Colts and Andrew Luck. I, I have not seen that episode, okay. but I'll take your word for it. Um, Eric, um, Eric and Daniel, when, when you all passed by Indianapolis, well, what kind of impressions did you all get? Yeah, I will say that there's a pretty fantastic Jewish deli called Shapiro's that's worth a stop if anyone's ever going through. Um, I mean, my impression of Indianapolis is that it's the city that you pass by on the way to Chicago when you're taking those big highways in the Midwest. Um, I mean, they, like one of the notable things is that when you're driving by on the highway, you do see Lucas Oil Field Stadium very prominently, and I imagine that a lot of these other venues that they're making are going to make a similar impression on like the cityscape eventually. I know that the NCAA has already declared that they're going to be trying to have March Madness um, entirely in Indiana. So whether or not that's just in Indianapolis or more spread throughout the state is left to see. Uh, but I think that's going to be a big thing for the state. I, I can't blame them. Like I don't really see many other reasons to stop by Indianapolis. So if they feel like the best way for uh, the city moving forward is to become a, a quote-unquote sports hub, then you know at least they're giving it their all. Yeah, I think I think the the big picture here is that you know I don't think the move towards being more sports focused or like attracting kind of more sports related businesses is a bad move. I think like unfortunately what's been happening so far. And there doesn't seem to be any like changes coming up that will drastically change this is that uh, oftentimes these developments have very much been top heavy focusing on just making uh, very very few uh, wealthy businessmen and, and development people uh, much richer and, and some of them just like outside development you know people and so it's not even like Indiana homegrown people richer while kind of a lot of the local citizens and local folks are actually like struggling and so like Indiana for the past few decades have like you know very very large gaps you know in, in terms of uh, wealth inequality um, and so I think it, it's a matter of needing to reevaluate or rethink how you know these expansions and these growths like what at what cost does it come at and like who is it really benefiting and I think like 
in terms even the most generous reading is kind of it's it's really mixed in terms of it actually helping a lot of the locals and the people there yeah i mean part of me wonders is like is sports as a industry or as an entertainment industry like is that is sports actually uh, a business model where you know money is going to the right folks right and if you think about it it's like so much of it is based on tourism right um, especially if you think about like the NCAA tournament. So it's like who's actually benefiting when you construct, you know, stadiums, when you construct sports headquarters, um, you know, is it more, is it the visitors or is it actually the people who live there? So I think that's just something important to, to note. And, you know, it kind of reflects like, you know, who's getting, you know, I think what Alex's article really helps point out is like, who's actually getting all the money from a situation like this and who gets, you know, who gets to benefit from all these uh, types of, of developments. Um, I wonder if uh, Eric had any thoughts as someone who spent some time in the Midwest, but also like has maybe some working knowledge of how the money flows per se. Uh, no, I don't get any. <laughs> any <laughs> reactions to the article? <laughs> um, no, just that it was it was eye opening to me because you know if this is going on here. It's it's going on everywhere or in other cities too. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I am interested to see if this strategy of going all in on being in the sports city, how does that affect the the city of Indiana or the state of Indiana and its culture? I guess. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out for sure. Yeah, and and I do want to point out, like, as with like any kind of industry focused growth, like it often ends up being this way like cities that kind of double down on like okay we're going to be like a tech hub or like oh we're going to uh i don't know like really focus on like this specific industry uh these kind of like very uh development heavy investor heavy uh things often are very lopsided and who like it benefits because it uh has a goal of projecting kind of this like infinite growth that will kind of proceed and happen when in reality often it doesn't pan out that way and so like with indianapolis like their hope is that it all these like venues that get set up can then be converted into like entertainment hubs right uh can be things for like uh conventions and whatnot and for the most part like that's uh, a lot of that's actually panned out like indianapolis hosts like a, a fairly large proportion of like conventions and like business conventions and things like that um i think like what I want to point out is that I don't necessarily feel like my point isn't that, you know, because they focus on sports, that that's uniquely one that might, you know, be the cause of more exploitation for the workers class, working class. I think it's more about sports is unique in that sports tries to buy itself in by saying like, hey, we're part of the community and like you're invested in us. And I think that is unique. I think like even when a tech company comes in and says like, hey, we're part of like the community, I don't know if it has the same tone. Like there's definitely like aspects of that. If you're like, you know, in the West Coast and you see how people buy into like these large tech companies and like obviously in the past, a lot of like these um, industrial uh, businesses or, or like mining companies or whatnot, like there is this kinship between community and company. But I think like sports, has this weird like cultural zeitgeist thing where it's like hey we're like literally the indiana team or like hey we're like the chicago team and like people wear your stuff everywhere and like people feel have a relationship 
with that team and i think in a certain way that makes it more kind of devious like in, in many ways that's like the ultimate betrayal in which like a lot of people are genuinely invested in these teams and these communities and like what these sports teams claim to be which is like an integral part of like building up a community and to see that kind of trust uh be betrayed in this way i think like that is important to uh think about because like i think all of us have like a certain investment or affinity to a sports team and we need to like understand kind of this business aspect and understand that you know these these relationships are really complicated and like what what ends are these you know teams aiming to kind of uh go after yeah and i guess like sports and i don't know what you were where you were saying made me think of like the pittsburgh steelers right because it's like this combination of sports as community but also like the brand of steelworkers right yes it's like this moment where like labor and and sport like is becomes intertwined so right. maybe the next nba team is the seattle amazon warehouse workers or something oh my um, god yeah, but the Seattle um, Amazon drones. Yeah, this, yeah, all these horrible, horrible uh, names that that we could come up with. Um, San I had Antonio a, sanitation robots. San, <laughs> San I'm yes, sorry. It's we could keep we could keep going with uh, with these. I had I had a leading I had a thought that I was trying to transition to, but I I just lost it. Um, I'm sorry. Let me see if I can get it back. And no, it's not there anymore. Um, yeah, any other thoughts about Alex's article? This combination of like sports as community, but ultimately like I don't know. It almost feels like back like a betrayal of some sorts in a way. Yeah, or like who's 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 community, right? Like when a rich owner comes in and says like, "Hey, we're a community," he's really talking to like his development buddies right yeah and this will be a running theme when uh eric has a chance to uh publish and release his piece on another midwest uh basketball team nice um good tease yeah i guess that's some that sums that up maybe we'll spend more time talking about uh the article that i released next next time we're about at an hour here um and then I guess I, I'm curious, Alex, did you ever figure out what a pacer is and how that connects to the community of Indiana? I did figure out what a pacer is, but then I forgot. <laughs> is it a train? This is bad. Gotta, Wait, you guys can guess. I'll look it up right now. We got to cut this out. Just pretend Isn't I know. a pacer all. like the heart thingy? What's a pacer? <laughs> That's mean, a that pacemaker. Pacer. Oh. <laughs> like they have a lot of heart? Is that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like. Um... The hard substitute. I don't know. This is Daniel's pacemaker. Daniel's thing. Keep guessing. I'm googling. I found it. What is so the according? According to Indianapolis attorney, and this is on Wikipedia, Indianapolis attorney Richard Tinkham, the nickname Pacers was decided on through a collective decision of the original investors. Tinkham, one of those investors, recalled that the nickname was a combination of the state's rich history with the harness racing Pacers and the pace car used for the running of the Indianapolis 500. Oh. Truly a sports city name. True. Pacer. Well, um, any other thoughts before we close out? That's the most interesting I've learned in 2021. So thank you guys for that. Yeah. And uh, the owners 
uh, articles, the off-court playbook will continue. We'll continue to release a couple more things and also get started up on the Turnover blog. Um, where where can folks find our content, Alex? At the turnover.club. Perfect. All right. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. We'll be back in another month, maybe sooner. And we'll see what the state of basketball and the Brooklyn Nets are at that time. Sounds good. Who wants to count us out? I can do it. All right. Turnover on three. One, two, three. Turnover. Turnover. Wow. So much excitement for the season. (laughs)